We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but um, this letter is a whole. We take it apart in verses so that we can get the, you know, the meat out of it. Um, but we need to understand what's going on. And Paul has had a difficult time with this Corinthian church. As I've told you before, our second Corinthians is actually the third letter that he wrote to them. Uh, he actually, I'm sorry. It's the fourth letter that he wrote to them. Our first Corinthians is the second letter that he wrote to them. And then he wrote a very, very sharply worded letter that we don't have. He wrote a letter before our first Corinthians and then first Corinthians and in the midst of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see a very, very important event that took place and something that Paul said and did that factors into what we're looking at right now. But uh, he wrote our 1 Corinthians, then the sharply worded letter, and then he went and made an unannounced visit to them. He had been in Ephesus, and he had a uh, very successful ministry going there. And I don't mean successful in the way that we think of ministry today. They were building buildings and all of this. This is, I mean, people's lives were being absolutely transformed and uh, the gospel was going everywhere all over Asia Minor. But he had to pause that and go across the Aegean and visit the Corinthians and try to correct something that had gone pretty seriously wrong. The visit he calls a painful visit. And the verses that we looked at two weeks ago, uh, the Apostle Paul is trying to help them to understand why he didn't visit again. He said, I didn't want to have another painful visit. And so there's this just really difficult situation that he's working through um, with the Corinthians where they're just they're not being cooperative. Um, now, this isn't all of them, obviously, but there, uh, it appears that there are those who have some sort of influence in the Corinthian church that are actually um, disrespecting Paul. They're listening to the voices of other teachers and other uh, self-appointed leaders, and that is causing them to disrespect Paul. I, I'm sorry to say, but I see this happen all the time. People follow other people. Rather than listening to the truth, rather than going to the source and saying, how do you feel about this? What do you think? Do you know what's going on? People do this. This. Right? They talk behind your back. Okay? This is why some churches don't want small groups. They want Sunday school so they can have it all at their church and you can keep an eye on those Sunday school teachers and you can dismiss one if there's a problem. But when you have small groups in homes, you never know what's going to happen, right? Well, I think the people of God uh, are responsible for themselves. And when we try, that is ministers like myself, try to exercise too much control over people, then it just becomes a cult, right? Um, we can't make people think what we want them to think. We can't even make them think what the Lord wants them to think. All we can do is encourage and admonish and teach.
teach. And that's what I seek to do. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul was seeking to do. And he wasn't just doing it in person. He was doing it with these letters. And we are blessed because we receive a tremendous amount of spirit-inspired teaching from the Apostle Paul's letters. So what I'm going to do right now, I wanted to uh, go back up and read what's going on here. Okay. Um, this is second Corinthians chapter one, verse 12. I'm going to read from the English standard version for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand us, just as you partially understood, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So he's saying there's no subtext here, right? There's nothing, you, you don't read between the lines. The Apostle Paul said, no, as, you know, as I said when we covered this, what you see is what you get. This is what I'm saying to you. 15, verse 15 of chapter 1. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, <clears throat> excuse me, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our, wor our word to you has not been yes and no. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that was last week, such an important sentence right there. That is why it is through him, that's through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has appointed anointed us, that means he's chosen us clearly, and who has put his seal on us, so the anointing is normally in the Old Testament oil, right? You would anoint the leader with oil, and now we see what the oil represents. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, right? Our anointing, you could still use oil, but it's only symbolic, right? The, the anointing, the genuine anointing is the Holy Spirit, and he has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, verse 23, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith, for you to stand firm in your faith. Okay, so there's some dispute over whether he is affirming the fact that they stand firm in their faith, right? Or whether he's saying we're working so you will stand firm in your faith. Chapter two, verse one, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad, but the one whom I have pained. And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now we get to where we are tonight, but we need to go back and we need to, uh, we need to look at this. Um, I gave you all some practical uh, advice last time. 
when it concerns these things. Um, but what I want to do is I want to go back to this, uh, this passage and I want to want to talk about pastors and teachers. I applied it to you all that are, that are, you know, heads of households. Um, we talked about giving your teenagers space to make their own decision. Uh, we talked about as an employer or a manager, giving the people under you space, uh, not lording it over their feelings or over their lives. Right. The apostle Paul is giving these people space to repent. He's saying, listen, he came on strong. You got to tell your kids the way it is, but then you got to back off and you got to let them decide, right? You can, you know, you can hold all the strings in their lives, but eventually you've got to let go. So we really need to know when to let them fail. So one of our, uh, one of our parents, parent of younger children, um, was talking to me out in the lobby on Sunday and I was talking about the difference uh, between men and women, and more specifically, it's really not men and women, it's fathers and mothers, and how they parent. Moms, most of the time, are very protective. They don't want their baby to get hurt, even if their baby is 20, right? Um, and dads are like, eh, throw some dirt on it. All right, he broke a bone. Um <laughs> Am I wearing a black T-shirt? Well, that was a very strange word from Sue. I'm sorry. that for, If you're watching, I just got a text, and that was just a really off. Yeah, this is a strange comment. Uh, this is, it's not a black T-shirt if you're watching. This is a Hawaiian shirt. So um, anyway, we've got to give them space. This, the the, the uh, anecdote. Uh, so he was talking about his, uh, his two boys and how they were jumping on the trampoline. Right. And they were, you know, I don't know, you know what boys are like, <laughs> you know, jumping and leaping and hopping and, you know, doing things that were, were like dangerous. And the mom was like, no, we need to go tell them to stop. It's dangerous. They're going to hurt themselves. And the dad was like, no, they're going to have to learn. Right. <laughs> so we have to give people space to make their own decisions even children, we've got to learn to say, okay, you know, this child is very small and doesn't know anything. So we have to constantly watch after them and protect them. But then they get older, they've been told, they've been taught, you told them not to touch the stove and told them not to touch the stove and told them not to touch the stove. Eventually the time comes where, okay, you're going to get burned and you just pray that it's, you know, not too bad. And then it's not going to cost too much because they're not learning, right? They're simply not learning. And sometimes it is experience that is the only teacher that will, uh, that will teach us, right? Now, I wanted to apply this to pastors and teachers because I don't think that I really touched on that. And that's who this is really all about. Paul is the apostle. He's the teacher. He's the one that is being disrespected here, um, Pastors and teachers in churches may find themselves the target of unhappy members. That does happen sometimes. I think I've got kids outside. Yeah. Um, when do you want to go and tell them that the Bible study is upstairs? Yeah. Just tell them it's upstairs. Apparently they didn't get my text. All right. There we go. 
For those of you watching online, yes, I am the pastor of a church, and there's just lots of things going on right now. This isn't a podcast. <laughs> I'm not just here in a sound room doing my own thing. It's this. It's crazy. You know, if this microphone weren't so uh, directional right here, you could hear pounding going on upstairs right over our heads as they... Yeah, they're playing musical chairs or something like that. And they didn't want to get too loud back there. So I said, yeah, go back upstairs. Very good. All right. We who are in ministry can find ourselves the target of unhappy members to respond to uh, to respond, excuse me, in a heavy handed or harsh manner is simply not right to be defensive. is not right. Failure to respond, however, also may be wrong. We must pray. We've got to remain humble. We've got to seek counsel from God's word and wait for the proper time to communicate, realizing that listening is more than half of good communication. If something is displeasing, if we're not doing something that is helpful to you, I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet. I'm not going to know unless you tell me, right? So rather than get upset or get angry or talk, Come and talk to me. Oh, well, Pastor, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. You will find that I respond oftentimes by saying, okay, I understand. And I may or may not agree with you, but at least I heard what's going on and I can pray and I'll make adjustments in accordance with that. But what we have happening here in Corinth is we have these people who are trying to replace Paul. They're trying to displace Paul. They're trying to remove him from leadership over the church, but they couldn't do that because Paul started the church. <laughs> Paul was the one that God called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And what God calls into existence, you don't have any say in at all. There's no vote. You don't vote Paul out of being an apostle. Well, we don't agree. How many of you vote for Paul to not be the apostle anymore? That's right. You're not the apostle. We've got this guy over here that came in and said that you don't know what you're talking about. And yet his whole ministry had been clearly, clearly um, from the Lord. There had been so many uh, things that had happened, so many signs, so many miracles, so much fruit in his ministry. And he'd been sent by the church at Antioch. He'd been confirmed and affirmed. And so we have the idea in our country, because, you know, we're such a democracy, that everything is about popular vote. Well, listen, the reality is we need to be accountable to one another. I'm accountable to this congregation. So I'm putting me in the middle of this right now so that we can see what was going on with Paul and this church. All right. So if people want to say, hey, you know, we need this change. We need, uh, you know, uh, we need you to step up and do this or, or, you know, we need leadership over here. Then come and tell me. All right. We made an adjustment in this group right here because um, I had heard from other folks or a couple of other folks that you guys wanted to make sure that we uh, took had time for prayer requests. Well, I had been doing that consistently and I really, I just stopped doing it consistently. And so I've started doing that consistently again. So for those of you that are online, that's why we started at 717 today because we were having prayer requests and we prayed and I don't want to put all that online. If you want to pray with us, then show up as early as 630 and we'll chat and we'll have prayer requests and prayer at seven and then we'll start this at 715. I will do what needs to be done so that you can be encouraged. But talking about it somewhere else is not going to change anything. When we worry, when we gossip, 
It doesn't change anything. It just puts us in a bad position, okay? But prayer, you think what I, what do you think I'm going to say? Prayer what? Changes things. But prayer doesn't change things. Okay. <laughs> no, that's what we would normally say. But see, I like to say prayer brings God into the situation and God changes things. Amen? Or to make it shorter, God changes things through prayer. So even when you're upset with the Lord, you know, there's all kinds of confounding things that happen with God, right? We just don't understand and we get upset. We get frustrated. Just pray, right? Don't talk to yourself. And for goodness sake, why, why does everybody feel, and I'm not saying everybody in this room, in fact, I can't think of anybody in this room that's done this in recent times, but why do people feel the necessity to post every single thing that upsets them and bothers them? Pray. Those people that are reading your posts can't change anything. They may make recommendations that are helpful to you, Right? It would be much, much better if you have a circle of friends that you can call and talk to. You've got, you've got Christians in your life. And by the way, just talking to somebody, that may make you feel better. But if they're not a believer and they don't share or encourage your faith, it will not change your situation. Right? But if you trust the Lord. Now, I'm not saying don't post things. I have, I have posted prayer requests before. And I think that's important, right? It's that, that's the beauty of, of social media is that you can get a hold of a lot of people quickly. And I've asked people to pray for me before, like especially when I'm sick, right? Or something's going on, I can say, hey, will you pray for this situation? And I get, you know, thumbs up, thumbs up, yes, praying, 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 praying. That's great. That's exactly what we should do, right? But we're, we're not just venting, we're praying. Whether we're venting in a little small circle or whether we're venting online, venting and worrying, all the, that, doesn't, that doesn't change anything, okay? But praying changes things for sure. Um, so in my situation, we just continue to pray and we continue to love people. And I am made aware of things all the time, okay? I'm the pastor. So if you tell me something, the buck stops here. It doesn't go through me. It stops here. So if somebody says there's something going on here that you need to know about, you're not gossiping because we're not going to gossip. I'm going to pray and I'm going to act if I need to act. The buck stops here. But if we just chatter, 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 chatter behind each other's backs, it doesn't help anything, friends. I can pray for you. Miss Mary can pray for you. You can pray for each other right? God changes things through prayer. God changes hearts through prayer. Amen. He really, really does. Our hearts may be all twisted up with sadness or anger or confusion. And man, the Holy Spirit can come in and he can untie that Gordian knot and just bring everything back the way it should be. Here's a quote. And this is largely the reason that I went ahead and talked about this tonight. I was reading in a commentary and I went back up and I read the commentary that this fellow had on the passage that we just read. And this is Dr. David Garland in the New American Commentary. And if I remember correctly, I had this 
this fella is a professor uh, at Southwestern. He, he said, quote, ministers who have given long years of service to their churches and have become targets of sniping by a vocal minority or casualties of callous treatment can understand and sympathize with the bitter anguish Paul must have felt in dealing with the Corinthians. Listen, if you love your church, it doesn't make you mad. It makes you sad. It hurts. I'm going to be very brutally honest. It hurts me when people leave this church. It hurts me. I want people to do what the Lord is honestly leading them to do. I really do. But I don't like to lose anybody. I really don't. And I was going through our our list today so that I could update the people that are regulars and the people that are not. Man, we lost a number of people in the wake of the pandemic and they've just never come back. And they've not indicated that they hate me or they're mad or anything like that. In fact, you know, you may be thinking of people in your mind, but I've had nobody that has recently left that has been hateful toward me or said anything negative. They've just said, we believe this is what we need to do. And I've said, I'm, I'm behind you, right? If the Lord is leading you, then you have my blessing. If the Lord is not leading you, my blessing wouldn't change a thing. You need to do what the Lord's leading you to do. But listen, I have a lot of ladies in the room. There's a tendency for you to trust your intuition, a.k.a. your feelings, rather than the scripture, rather than wisdom from the word of God. You can feel one way one day, And then you won't feel the same way the next day. We cannot trust our feelings. Our feelings have to be submitted and surrendered to our faith in the word of God. And don't make big decisions about your life when you feel extremely angry or when you feel extremely depressed or even when you feel extremely happy. You need to make wise decisions, right? Because, you know, a very charismatic speaker can get you all stirred up. Yeah, I'm going to write a check for $20,000 and clear out my retirement account. You know, here you go, church. And then you got buyer's remorse. Five days later, you're like, why did I do that? Man, that guy was persuasive. You know, that wasn't God. But boy, sure felt like it at the time. You know, or somebody at church, uh, you know, says or does something or doesn't respect you the way you should be respected. You're like, I am so sick of that church and those people. I'm leaving. And then you go somewhere else and you find these people are the same way. I'm leaving. And then you go to another church and you're like, these people are the same. If everywhere you go, you have a problem with people, you're the problem. Let's just be honest. People are people. As a, a, a man that helped me start this church many years ago and who's passed away now, he used to say this often. He was, he was not a, a professional minister, but he was a wise man. He said, sheep stink, but they're not the enemy. All right? The sheep are us. We're the sheeple. And sometimes we smell, don't we? And I don't mean that in the literal sense. I'm just saying we, we do things that are, you know, um, don't make other people happy. We need to be forgiving to one another, man. That's what we need to be. And that's what this next section talks about. So um, now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 2. And 
we're going to read 5 through 11. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. Yeah, I'm going to come back to this last verse, but I want to start here just so I don't forget. Um, Division is satanic. Jesus said, a house divided, what? It won't stand. And I see people, and this is literally your home. I see people in homes all of the time, and they're going through difficult times. And if they would all pull together, they'd be fine. But what does the devil get them to do? Fight with each other. Dispute. Disagree. Misunderstand. Miscommunicate. Isolate from each other. Right? Um, no, man, that's, that's what Satan does. He's a liar and the father of it. And the first lie he's going to tell you is don't trust that person. Oh, they don't like you. Oh, they're not saying everything that they feel. Well, of course they're not. But the devil's just trying to get you to be suspicious, right? Within your family. The church is just a family. That's all we are. We can't, you know, make these little cuts toward other people and not understand how much the devil is working. Miss Mary and I have been talking for a while and um, she really tries to pay attention to what the Lord is saying. And we believe that the Lord is ready to lead our church um, in a fresh direction and that he is preparing to do something pretty incredible here. Every time this has happened, every time we're on the crest, every time we're on the edge of the promised land, ready to cross the Jordan, ready to go across, the devil does the same thing every single time. You know what it is? He attacks the leadership of this church. I'm personally not from people under attack, but I emotionally, I know I look very secure and confident, okay? But I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're just kidding? The reality is... I've been going through a whole lot of issues, okay? Nothing you need to worry about. I'm, you know, not going out and sleeping around or something, okay? Um, but I, you know, I, I'm constantly, I feel like I'm Jacob, except instead of Jacob wrestling with God all night, one night, I feel like I've been wrestling with God for 20 years, right? And you never win those wrestling matches, by the way. You just end up crippled. But the Lord stays with you, he renames you, and he leads you. And that's what I'm counting on him to do. And I do not accept the enemy interfering or intervening in the life of this church. Amen? Amen. Now, I pray for you. I am, I'm just being brutally honest here. I don't know who's going to listen and who's not. I have been praying for the hearts of the women in this church. 
The devil is attacking your hearts. I'm seeing it all over the place. He's attacking your beautiful, tender, sweet woman's heart. He's making you angry, confused, bitter, and you are losing the love that you had at first. You should be leading us in loving Jesus. The devotion of a woman to Jesus Christ is it's breathtaking. Men have a tendency to say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. Sure, I'm committed. I'm committed. I'm determined. But women can just have that natural sense of devotion and love toward Jesus that we need to learn about. And that's where you're being attacked. Check your first love. Um, I posted a blog today. I didn't write it today. I wrote it in 2009. And it came up on Facebook and I read it and I thought, wow, that's a warning for all of us. And so I updated some terminology and so forth in it, right? Um, So that it would be, I think, more broadly understood. But basically, that's not something that I just thought of today. Boy, I really need to get this church in line. I'm going to write them a letter. Let's see if they'll read it. I just thought it was providential that it came up and I thought, the same thing happened yesterday. That's why there's two that I posted on my Facebook back to back. Um, one of them's theological. That was the one yesterday. And then this one today. Um, but nonetheless, I, as I'm reading this, I'm saying, you know what? This is, this is what the Lord did with Paul, right? Instead of going out and directly intervening with the Corinthians, he led Paul to write a letter. So I thought, well, maybe this is a warning to people whose hearts have drifted away or are in the process of drifting away from the Lord, even though it's a warning that the Lord gave me in 2009, right? I don't want to be in the middle of your business. I don't. I don't. And it's not because I don't care. I do care, but I'm not your Lord, okay? I will be there for you if there's anything I can do. I will pray for you, and I will believe for you when you're in a place where you just don't feel like you can believe, and I know God will act. I know he will move, and you can, you can rest in that, okay? Um, but I want you to understand that when things happen to you, When you're hurt, it hurts me. I don't walk around with my, you know, lip pooched out and uh, wringing my hands and saying, well, but it hurts me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. He said, what we need to do when we divide, when we argue, when we hurt each other's feelings, when we offend one another, is we need to forgive, right? Um, Church discipline was necessary in Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 gives an example of what was occurring. And if you remember back to that, if you were coming to the Bible study at that time, uh, a man was involved sexually with his stepmom. Gross, right? Um, we don't know if his dad was still married to this woman or not, but it was not right. Okay, And Paul was outraged. He said, this kind of perversion doesn't even happen in the secular world. And you guys are bringing it into the church. He responded immediately. And he said, what we would call excommunication. He said, you need to disfellowship this guy. You need to send him back out into the world. 
and let his flesh be burned off by his conduct by the devil, right? So that his soul will be saved for eternity. So Paul wasn't saying, you know, get him, send him out of the church and send him to hell. Okay. He was saying he's acting worldly, send him back into the world. Well, who's in charge of the world? The devil's called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air. Okay. So the hope that Paul had was that the man would see the error of his ways, repent and be restored. So could this be the person that Paul is referring to here? All right. We can't know for certain, but ancient commentators nearly unanimously, uh, Tertullian is a, a notable uh, exception to this, but ancient commentators um, believed that the Apostle Paul in this uh, area that we're, we're looking at today, when he says if someone has caused pain and so forth, he's talking about this person in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that he unilaterally excommunicated. Um, we can't know that for sure. Modern commentators disagree. Uh, according to David Garland, the fellow that I quoted earlier in the New American Commentary, he said, quote, the majority of commentators assume that the guilty party was some unknown person who led a revolt against Paul. Okay. Then Garland goes on and he goes in a lot of detail, more detail than you're interested in, I'm sure. <laughs> but nor, I remember my old Bible studies, I would have given you all that detail and you would have been going, Ugh, right? But... Garland thinks that it was that this man was the source and he wasn't going to leave. He was just raising up opposition and he found some leadership that were willing to support him. Even though he was sleeping with his stepmom, they were like, well, that's grace. We should just let it happen. Who knows? Okay. Regardless of whether that's the case, whoever the offender, we can be sure that repentance and restoration are possible. You know, people do some really, really bad stuff, don't they? They do some hurtful, harmful things to themselves and to others. We need to keep praying for them. You know what I like to say? As long as there's breath, there's hope. So I may have to give up on talking to them. I may have to give up on trying to do anything myself, but I can constantly, every time I think about them, every time I'm worried about them, I just turn them over to God in prayer and keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. And as a bumper sticker that I saw on a church fan one time said, P-U-S-H, which stands for what? Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Beat down the gates of heaven and say, Lord, I need you to do something about this. Lord, you still haven't done anything. I need you to do something. And then the Lord will give you peace, right? And then you start worrying again. Lord, I need you and just keep on pushing, right? Um, Paul doesn't list the sin uh, involved here because he has already forgiven this person and doesn't want to open newly healing wounds. So if someone's hurt you, they did something and you've forgiven them. You don't rehash it. You don't bring it back up again. I have found that certain people um, are really good at remembering when you did something wrong in the past. I can have asked forgiveness, moved on, forgotten all about it. And someone will bring it up in vivid detail. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, I thought we, you know, had forgiven and moved on. Well, obviously not. Okay. So if you've genuinely forgiven someone, even if you have that vivid, detailed memory, the Lord will eventually, you may not completely forget it, but the Lord will eventually give you enough time and grace in that time to buffer the sharp edges, to buff, we'll say buff the sharp edges off so that it doesn't hurt so much. Forgiveness is not a one-shot deal. You have to keep doing it. You don't just say, well, I forgive you, but the next day you feel angry again, right? Or something happens. It's a consequence of what that person did. And you're like, you know what? If that person hadn't done that, this wouldn't be happening right now. And you're angry again. Forgiveness is ongoing. You forgive and you keep on forgiving. Amen? Oh, I didn't get a big amen there. <laughs> All right? He doesn't list the person or the sin because he doesn't want to open these newly uh, healing wounds. Instead, he focuses on forgiveness. Here's another quote from uh, David Garland, the New American Commentary. He said his, that is Paul's goal, is to bring healing, not to recount the events to prove how right he was. Instead of criticizing the culprit, he describes his own grief, what happened to him, and how this plays out in his sufferings for the gospel, right? What we need to realize is when one of us is hurt or offended, all of us are, or should be. As Paul already taught the Corinthians, together they form Christ's body on earth. So, have you ever had a hangnail? Anybody? Yeah. It can ruin your day, can it? <coughs> I'm telling you, man. You know? Or you have a little crick in your back, and it's just like one, periodically I get one like near my shoulder blade right here. I'd have to dislocate my arm to point, point it out. But it's just crazy how a little, you know, and it's probably some little vertebrae that's slightly turned, okay? We're the body of Christ. When somebody gets cantankerous and gets sideways, it hurts all of us, Right? When a Christian leader is disrespected, so are uh, all the people that he leads. When a leader fails morally, it harms the reputation of the church, the reputation of Jesus, and it reflects badly on the followers of Christ. All right, all, all of them Christians are just hypocrites. Well, we are, aren't we? So come to church and join us all. All right. <laughs> Those who offend and sin against their brothers and sisters should be disciplined. This may involve removing fellowship from them, and that means that we don't hang out with them, we don't eat with them, we don't worship with them. Now, I'm talking about somebody like the man in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping with his stepmom. The Apostle Paul said remove fellowship from him. Not just he can't come to church, but stop hanging around him. Here's what happens, and this is the difficulty, right? It's the difficulty I find myself in. I'm, I, I want to give people the opportunity if I'm aware, they may or may not know I'm aware, if I'm aware that they're involved in some kind of obvious sin, I want to have the kind of relationship that allows me to give them time to say something, to be convicted by the Spirit, to repent. But see, eventually, I'm just going to have to say, is this what you're doing? Then I'm sorry. You, you, you know, you, you can't be in leadership in our church. We had to do this with a, a youth minister some years back, and he was the nicest guy in the world. He really was, but he, was in, he just decided to go plowing back into a life of immorality. And so, obviously, he can't be our youth minister, 
Um, if you're involved in overt sexual sin, I mean, you know, what do we do? Um, it's, it's a very, very difficult situation. But when someone is doing something that is obviously wrong and they're very, very overt about it, they're trying to parade it as though it is okay, it is acceptable. If you are in a relationship with them, they will take it as tacit approval from you, okay? So let's go all the way back in our church because this person, in fact, I think this fellow passed away. Um, uh, I can see his face, but I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, which is probably good, but anyway. Um, the early days of this church were wild and woolly. Let's just say that, okay? Virtually everybody was between 16 and 24 with raging hormones, so I've uh, heard commentary from uh, large churches and they, they talk about the fact that they are constantly trying to keep the single people out of bed with one another and get the married people into bed with one another. <laughs> it's a problem. All right. And so this is what I was, I felt like, you know, I was a dog chasing its tail running around. And I'm not trying to police everybody, but, you know, I'm trying to build a church with these young leaders and they're just following their libidos. So um, this one young man was periodically on occasion getting up on stage and playing his guitar and, you know, singing and so forth. And uh, he was he had moved in with his girlfriend. Right. Common practice. Right. Especially today. And this is 20 plus years ago. And oh, now I did remember his name. I better be careful. Um, <laughs> it just came to mind. And uh, I, I said, no, that's, that's not right. And, you know, I specifically addressed that sin in a sermon. Not to try to call him out or anything like that. Well, of course, he just stopped coming. You know, today, if you try to do church discipline, people just quit. Or they go to some church that's so big that nobody knows them. Right? Or they go to a church that affirms their sin. The reality is, uh, you know, people like me are caught in the middle. I really am. I'm caught in the middle. I don't, run a, I don't want to run your life. I don't. But I want to help you. I want to speak into your life. I want to tell you the truth. I want to encourage you. A lot of times what I'm doing, I'm doing that, I'm doing it up here. Because you see, there's a buffer. I'm anticipating that you're going to listen to that and you're going to receive it and respond to it or you're not. That's different than me turning a chair around and us sitting face to face and me saying, what, what am I hearing about this? Now, I'm saying you. I'm not thinking about you in this room. I'm just, you are the people in front of me, okay? It's any situation like that. So if I become a laissez-faire pastor, then I'm not caring for your needs, okay? Laissez-faire means hands off, right? C'est la vie. Whatever will be, will be. But if I'm a, a nosy pastor trying to look into all of your business and know everything that's going on and everything you're saying and everything you're doing, that's a cult. <laughs> and I'm not interested in that. I am interested in getting you in a position where if you are doing something or have done anything that is dividing you from Christ and from fellowship in the church, that you just repent, have a change of heart. That's all that means. It's a religious word, but it just means have a change of heart, Right? And if you have a change of heart, you'll have a change of mind. And if you have a change of heart and mind, you will have a changed life. Right? So if somebody in this church has hurt you, 
if you know, you're holding a grudge against somebody for something, just go ahead and forgive them. Just let them go, right? Um, you know, the bad thing about unforgiveness is you continue to give that person and what they did power over you. It just keeps happening, right? It's not a one-time deal. It keeps happening. Forgive them and keep forgiving them. I hold no grudges against anybody. Any person at any time that has left this church is welcome to come back. But if they have been asked to make some adjustments in their life, as in the case of this former youth minister, well, you can come back and visit, but I'm not going to affirm your sin. There needs to be repentance. The door is always open to anyone and to everyone. I love everyone. I love you all. And I love you all. God bless you. Have a good night.